Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy 2014. And uh, so I guess my hope for you at the beginning of a new year is that over the last few days that you've had enough time to, to slow down enough uh, to reflect on uh, what happened to you and what you did last year and what God did in your life last year and, and uh, remembering what he did and then also what's God doing in your life this year. And uh, I really like this time of year because it, it's a great time to, to say, you know, God, God what's next? God, what, what, where am I supposed to go? And to, and to really come to God with things loosely or, or maybe even empty hands and, and saying, you know, God, what, what are you, where God, how God, what God. And uh, I think it's just a real important time for us to, to do that. And, and this, uh, this month, uh, today, we're going to start in the book of James. And I, I'm excited about that. I think it's, it's an, an unbelievable book that... Uh, God has given us, and I like it because it talks about the where, and it talks about the how, and it talks about what we're supposed to do. It's very uh, calling us to action, and, and I think that's good, but I, I want to say that where we're going to start today, that's not where James starts. James doesn't get into so much of where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do from the beginning. And I think there's a reason for that. In fact, I think there's a really profound reason why, why this book of action doesn't start with action. That it starts with something much deeper than that. And it really starts with the question of who. And many times I think we want to go to God and say where, what, how. And what God wants to do is he wants to set, deal with who. And that who is you. And that who is me. And he wants to deal with us. And he wants to do some things in us before he wants to take us somewhere and tell us something what to do and, and all of that. So uh, on that, let's just pray and ask God to, to speak to us and, and lead us during this time. Well, Father, we, we do thank you for 2013. And Lord, we, we thank you for your faithfulness um, in so many ways in this room. And Lord, we, uh, we just look forward to this coming year. God, we, uh, we just want to hear you today. We want to we wanna know what you're doing in our lives. And uh, Father, we just ask for a clear perspective this year of what you're trying to do in us. And uh, God, I just pray for perspective and, and the discipline to get where we need to be in our lives and our families and our neighborhoods and our jobs and wherever that is where we don't miss your kingdom. We don't miss what you're calling us to do, what you're wanting us to do, and what you're wanting us to be about, and who you're calling us to be. And so, Father, we, uh, uh, we just commit this year to you. We commit today to you, and we thank you for your word and your faithfulness to us. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, real quick with James, I think it's important to get a little bit of context before we get into James. Um, and... I'll just ask this. So we got the book of James. Who is James? Who? Jesus' brother. Anybody else got an idea who James might be? Okay. Yeah.
<laughs> That's right. I love that. He's right. He's a servant of God. That's right. He read the first verse, folks. And so this is good. And so that's right. He is. That's exactly who he is. And so, but he is Jesus' brother. And so, but, but there's, I think there's a couple, there's been a little bit of uh, question about who that might be. And some say, well, there's, there's uh, uh, James, the son of Zebedee. Wouldn't you like it if your dad's name was Zebedee? That'd be so awesome, my dad. But anyway, James was, there's another James in the Bible who was brothers with John and, and Peter, James, and John, they were kind of in the inner circle with Jesus. And so there was that James. But the reason we don't think it's that guy, that James, that wrote this is that he died uh, in like 44 AD, which was what we would think is too early. This book was probably written after that. And so we believe that it is indeed Jesus' brother that did write this. But when you read the Gospels and other parts of the, the New Testament, you don't, really, you don't really hear that much about Jesus' brother James. You don't hear him talked about too much really at, at all. But where we do see his brother get into action is after Jesus was resurrected. Then you begin to see him, and then we, we see him in this book. And so I guess, I guess it would be true for all of us that if your brother was resurrected from the dead physically... You would probably get into business. You'd probably start doing something, right? And so, because that would wake you up a little bit. And so, I think that's what happened. And and so, James was really big time in the uh, Jerusalem church. He was the first bishop in that church. Many call him just James. And and so, as we move through this book, we kind of will see some of that. And he was protecting uh, Jewish tradition and and action and, and being about God's. Uh, God's will, God's way in the church uh, uh, in the beginning. And so uh, we think that's who wrote it. I believe that's who wrote it. So if you will, go with me to James, James chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles today, and we're just going to read the first eight verses. Here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And so, so he talks about considerate joy when we have trials. When we go through these trials. So what are we going to face in life? It's not a trick question. Trials. It's going to happen. Trials are going to, uh, to come our way. And it's a really simple picture of what he's painting here. He's talking about these trials that are going to purify us. They're going to change us. They're going to make us more mature. They are going to do something in us that is deep. And that's what God uses to get us to a place of maturity is a trial. And so it, it paints this picture of purification where heat is applied 
to make something more pure. And so that's what's happening here. And this isn't the only place in Scripture that talks about this. We can see this in the book of Hebrews. We can see this in 1 Peter where we see this kind of thing. But what faith does is it tests our faith. It's going to test us. And so you've seen people who may, you may have seen people that they've been in church maybe years. And a trial comes their way. And then they walk. Because it was just too much. And maybe their mentality is this. I can't believe that God would allow that to happen. And so sometimes really what that is based on is, is, is a, a theology that's a little messed up. Because what some people think is, well, I'm going to come to Christ and I'm going to come to God and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do these things. And then things are all, they're just going to get a lot better. And that's not the way God always works with us. And so we should expect that that's going to happen. But what James is saying here is that when those trials come, what's happening is God is testing your faith. God's testing us. And so uh, it's a little strange to me to read these and think, well, uh, we should consider it a a joy. But that's kind of what's happening. But, you know, Jesus said something significant when he was on earth. He said that no servant is greater than his master. And so if if Jesus Christ is our master, then we should really expect that there's going to be some suffering in life. That there's going to be a trial that is going to come our way. Because it's what happened to him. It's what what does that. But but I think we we live in a culture that, uh, that really seeks comfort. That really seeks to try to protect ourselves from suffering, from trial, and and all that kind of stuff. We live in a a culture that says, listen, if you're suffering, you need to get a lawyer. (laughs) Right? We live in a, a, a culture that says, listen, you don't deserve that. Really? So, uh... So here's kind of my conclusion on the American culture. In, in light of suffering and in light of trials, it's this. Our, our culture does not prepare us to suffer. It doesn't. The culture that we live in, in our lives, does not prepare us to go through trials and to suffer. Because we don't deserve it. We're entitled to better. We're entitled to something, to something different. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says when a trial comes your way. Not if, but when. It's going to happen. And God's going to use it. And so today I want to talk a little bit about uh, this and the fact that, first of all, we will face trials. And I want to talk about why, why they happen and that God gives us a new perspective with these trials. And, and then I think that Kind of to wrap it up, God gives us a couple of disciplines to, to live in those trials and to, to struggle well in, uh, in the trial. And so the first verse talks about this is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face many trials. And so if I'm looking at that, uh, it's kind of like we should, in the midst of the trial, uh, we should have joy. I don't, I don't think that's what he meant. Uh, because... I think the most natural response in the midst of a trial is sorrow, is hurt, is pain, is all of that. What he is saying is, I'm giving you a perspective in the midst of the trial. 
consider it joy because on the other end of what's going on right here, you're going to be more complete and you're going to be more, more mature. You're going to be better for it. It's not happy, happy all the time because you're in the trial. That's not the joy. That's the hard part. But it is going, I'm in this trial. I'm in this suffering. I'm in this. But I know that God has a plan for this. And when I get over here, see, I can look back and say, I'm better for it that I went through that, that I lived through that. And so um, I think I think if you're in the younger section, maybe over here, you might have a hard time understanding that. But if you're really old like me, um, only like two people laughed. I'm not that old. But, but I have learned this. Uh, and it's this, that, that suffering equips us. Trials equips us to be better dads, to be better moms, to be better wives, to be better husbands, to be better friends, to be better neighbors, to be better employees. We're just better for it. And so this suffering in our lives allows us to do that. But until we experience that, until we allow these trials to work with our lives, uh, we're not quite there. That God's going to use these uh, to do it. And I really like the language that, that he uh, uses here. Because when he says, consider it pure joy, that word consider really means count it. Listen, what I'm trying to do is get you down the road to think a little bit ahead. And what, what is happening here is what I want you to do is I want you to count it, joy. I want When you add it all up, when you add all these things up, when you add this trial and this thing and this thing that happened to you or whatever, when you add it all up, I want you to count it joy because over here, this is where God did something. He, he brought some results in your life. He changed you and, and did some things that, uh, that is tremendous, that you won't be the same because of it. Now, this book is very action-oriented, but there's no where or how or what really here. What he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, before I tell you what to do, before I tell you how to do it, there's something that that God's going to do in you. And I'm going to prepare you. God's going to prepare you to do the where and the how and all that. And the way he's going to prepare you is through the trial. And so before we get, there's some verses, if you've got an outline, you can read through this with me. But, but. But there's some verses in here that we're going to read later on, like uh, in verse uh, 21 of, of chapter 1. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Okay, God's calling us to do something there. Then, he, then it goes on in, in James 2.18. It says, show me your faith uh, without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. I mean, there's some strong call. There's some strong language there. Then it goes on to say, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, sins. And so it's, that's the action of this verse. But we don't really see this up front. And here's why. Here's why. And it really, I, as I went through the preparation of this week, if you get anything this morning, get this. Okay? God's will, God's plan for you, is more about who you are than what you do. It really is. God's plan for your life, God's will for your life is more about who you are than what you do. 
Now, let me explain that because I, I really believe when we start saying, when somebody may ask you, hey, what's God's plan for your life? What's God's will for your life? 99.9% of the time, it's about what? Well, I'm going to go do this, right? But if we're going before God and we say, God, what's, what's your plan for my life? With God, I believe 99.9% of the time, it's who you are. See, because maybe God calls you to Haiti or Africa or to go do this or that or, or whatever it is. But what if you got to that place and you're the wrong person? Then does it really matter that you're in the right place if you're the wrong person? Right? See, because so God's trying to do something in you before he wants to do something through you. And so that's why James, when he starts this book, he doesn't go into all the things this some of these verses I just read, he goes, hey, listen, I want to let you know, Jerusalem people, because what was going on in this place is all the, the Jerusalem Christians in that city, he's speaking to that church, had left Jerusalem because of persecution, and they were scattered. And he's saying to them, hey, listen, consider it joy that you're scattered. Consider it joy for the trials. Consider it joy for the persecution, because... Through this perseverance, you are going to be mature and complete when it's over. Basically, hey, listen, God's going to make you who you're supposed to be so that when later on in this verse, when we talk about what he's calling you to do, you're the right person. So, so I think there should constantly be, uh, as followers of Christ, kind of a, a check in our spirit about, Am I the person God's calling? Am I the right person? Am I the right person to be a father? Am I the right person to be in this church? Am I, where is that? Wherever you are in your job, are you the person you're supposed to be? And I think that is, that is first before all of these other things that God may call us to, to do. And so I think... Um, so I think, I think the challenge is, is allow God to make you someone and he'll get you somewhere. Allow God to make you the person you're supposed to be. And, and I guarantee you, if you're that person, he's going to get you where you're supposed to be. He's going to move you to that place or, or, or whatever, uh, whatever that is. And so, uh, so I think that's kind of the overriding thing of what's going on here is God wants to, to develop uh, that character that maturity in our lives, and the way he does that is, is through these trials, and he's going to do that. Um, and I think there's a little bit of a transition once we get into verse uh, 5 here, and he gives us a, a couple disciplines, a couple things that while you're in the midst of the trial, he doesn't leave this context of, of suffering, of, of trial. He, he then gives us a couple things like, hey, listen, when you're in this, here's a couple things you should do. Here's a couple things that, that you should think about. So let's read uh, uh, verse 5 through 8 again. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all 
he does. I think sometimes we can pull this out of context. This is the context of suffering. So the first discipline is this. It is, number one, seeking wisdom. So if you get into a a trial, seek wisdom. So, So when things get rough, when things get hard... Maybe, maybe the most important thing in the midst of a trial is your next step. Your next choice. Making that next choice. And making a good choice. And it's kind of like this. I mean, when I think about this, it's kind of a picture of someone that, like rock climbing, right? And they're, maybe they're at a steep uh, place and, and they're climbing. And so what, what they're doing is they've got their two feet. And then what they're doing is they're grabbing for that next place to, to hold on to. And so there's a level of wisdom if you're doing that, that you need to make sure that you grab onto the right rock or place or this or that or whatever so that you don't fall. And so it's kind of this, so when you see somebody rock climb, it seems like they're going really slow. But that's what trials do to us. They slow us down. They get us into that place where it kind of strips back everything. It kind of moves everything out. Right? And then we're looking for that place. We're looking for wisdom in our lives and, and I think sometimes without wisdom, without uh, having that in our lives, without knowing that next step of what God's calling us to do, we'll probably stay in that trial longer than God intended to. But I believe good, godly wisdom from God, maybe from those that God has put in your life, will allow you to move through that trial maybe quicker than, than without it. And then it talks about in this passage, it starts talking about uh, those who, who doubt. And he's saying, hey, listen, through this, uh, there can't be doubt or uh, uncertainty or anything like that. But here's, here's what I think is really happening here. I think it's a little bit bigger if you look below the surface of what he's saying here. And I think what he's saying here is that in the midst of a trial, I think there's going to be a certain level of uncertainty with all of us. But there's one place he says, listen... Don't be uncertain here. And this one thing, and, and it's, it's this, discipline number two here, it's being certain of your loyalties. See, this is why we're talking about this now, because our culture does, is not going to prepare you to suffer. Our culture is not going to talk to you about what, what it means to go through a trial. But see, we're talking about this now because when a trial hits... You, if you're not certain about your loyalties, what this says is that you're going to be tossed about. It's going to rock you. It's going to, it's, it's, it's going to move you. What he's saying is, if you understand your loyalties, if you understand the thing that is most important to you, it's not going to move you. And so what this is teaching is, is, is don't, don't allow yourself to be moved. Know in advance what your loyalties are. So if your loyalty is to a person, ultimately, and something happens to that person, what happens to your anchor? And so it's so important... That we're not double-minded, that we're not doubting in God and His character and what He wants to do. And that we have that relationship with Him. Or if, or if our uh, loyalties or our, 
our focus is on the approval of others or, or gaining power or, or whatever, whatever that may be. Um, I think it's, it, it's important that before we walk into these trials, before trials come our way, and that has to happen now, that happens, has to happen in, before we get into them, before is, is 2014 unravels and, and trials come at us or whatever, may, whatever it may be, that we're ready to, to move through them um, and it not be uh, so dramatic for us. And this allows us to do this, is to know what our, our loyalties are. Um, I, uh, at the same time, I don't think, even though we know who, where our loyalties lie, even though we know God is my anchor, God is my rock in this. I'm not, I'm not moving on that. I'm not going to be tossed about. This is, this is what, I, what I believe. This is where my trust is. That doesn't take away the difficulty of it. That it's still going to be difficult. It's, there's still going to be uh, things, things that happen. Uh, so I think the question going into 2014 is really think about where do your loyalties lie? What do you really believe? What are you really trusting in? Because trials just strip everything else away. And they force us to, to deal with things. And what I would say is deal with them now, not in the midst of a trial. You ever met somebody that's going through a trial and they really don't have an anchor? In fact, it's really hard to give counsel to a person that that's happening to you, right? Because you're like, you're so far in, right? You're so far in this trial and you don't know what your anchor is. And I'm, we're going to have to go backwards over here and take you back to the beginning of this deal. It's very difficult. It's not only difficult for the person trying to help that person, but it's also difficult just for that person to deal with all of that. And so I would say now, figure out and make sure that you know where your uh, loyalties uh, lie, and and it will allow it not to hurt so uh, bad. I, you know, I think, uh, I guess kind of in closing, I would just challenge us in this. Uh, you know, Audrey and I have, I would say, three significant uh, mentoring couples in our lives. Uh, they have been that for all of them for over 15 years. Okay, we've had relationships with these people. And one of the reasons we have these people in our lives is, number one, we, have, we, we seek them out. We think it's critical uh, to have people in our lives that are ahead of us, that have gone before us, that uh, can bring counsel to us and all that. But here's what's cool about these folks. When we go and talk to them, and these are some very... These are blessed people. But when we go and talk to them about how they got to where they are in their lives, it's never about the good, good old days or the days of prospering or blah, whatever. When we go to these people and we talk to them about how they got where they are, they would tell you about the trials they went through. They're going to tell you about the time they went to jail. And spent about six months in prison. And all of that. And it was through those times 
that they got where they are. It, it, I mean, I, I've never really talked to anybody that's going to sit around and tell you about how it, it was all good and then that's how they got where they are. It's always something that where God brought them to the end of, end of themselves and recentered them and made them the people they are and the more, uh, uh, more mature people. And so the, here's the cool thing about that. When trials come to us, when they come, people are watching. People are watching you, and they're watching the way you handle that trial and what you do with it. And it's a platform for us to declare who God is and what he's about, and that he is our anchor, that he is the one that's going to do that. And James uh, one more verse here today. James uh, t- 1 verse 12 says this. This is kind of uh, the end of this section where he talks about, hey, this is, this is why this is all happening. Here's, here's kind of the end that's just really sweet. James 12 says this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Those people that have persevered, okay, I don't think you can persevere well at all without a solid anchor. Without being loyal to something that is unshakable and unmovable, you won't struggle well. You just won't. Without God, who is unshakable, who is unmovable, who is faithful, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is the provider of all things, the one that will get you from the beginning to the end of that, without Him there, I don't think you can persevere. Because trials either destroy us, really, they hurt us, or, or they make us better. So trials can either make us jaded and bitter and mad and vengeful and mean, or they can make us mature, joyful, life-giving people. And it's the perspective that you have on them that will get you through them. And the discipline of saying, God, I need wisdom in the midst of this. God, I need others around me to help me get through this. And I need to know where my loyalties are so that I can persevere, so that I can make it through it. Or it'll be incredibly uh, difficult to get uh, to the other side. Now, um, I don't know where everybody is in this room today. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know what trials are in your life. I don't know what's going on in your family, in your extended family, with your parents, your whatever it is. I don't know what, what, what is uh, going on there. But I would say that whatever it is, God has a specific reason for that. And in the midst of it, he's going to get you to the place you need to be. But bigger than that, 
he's going to make you the person that you're supposed to be once you get to that place. And, and that's the thing that God is, is wanting to be. And so I think about, you know, why, why do trials happen? What, what happens to get there? Well, there's, I guess, really just in my mind, there's three reasons why I would go through a trial. Well, there's sin. There's, I may have done something wrong. It's possible. Or the sin of someone else. Somebody else did something to me, which uh, may go even above just a typical trial to abuse where it gets kind of ugly. It gets real ugly. But then there's also just the fact that we live on this planet Earth and stuff happens and trials happen. And I think most of the time, that's what it is is that stuff just happens, and God allows them uh, to happen. And I, I would just say this, you know, these people that, these mentoring relationships that, you know, that we, at least Audrey and I, have chosen to be in and to be under and to listen and to gain wisdom. And uh, I'd also challenge you this. Um, if you're not in a community group, if you're not in a, in a restore group in this church, or if you're visiting here today in your church or whatever, why not? Why aren't you in that group? Why aren't you in a, in a place where you have community in your life? Because here's what happens. I mean, I'm just going to give you a, a pastor's perspective. People typically come to me or whoever, Brandon, whoever, Trey, when the pain level is at about 8 or 9 or 10. Why? Why do you... Why do we let it get to that before we invite anybody else in? Doesn't that seem a little bit ridiculous? Why would we not put ourselves in a position to where when the trials come, they're going to come. We already know that. That when they come, we're in a position already to where we can get that wisdom to where we can have people walk us through that. God never intended us to be alone. God never intended us to walk alone through whatever those are. That's not his plan. And so, unfortunately, we wait until we get to that place to ask for help. Instead of being in relationship, instead of being in community with people. So when it even hints a beginning, we can begin to seek it out. We can begin to work it out. We can begin to walk uh, through it and, we can, and all, that, all that kind of stuff. So I would just challenge you this year in the midst of, of what could potentially happen with trials is to find yourself and a restore group. And there's a bunch of them that you can go to. Uh, and I know that we are, as, as, a, as pastors, as staff here, really intentionally uh, starting and looking to start even more groups to help you uh, find community and find that place where you can belong, where you can live, where you can live life. And uh, so I just challenge you to do that this morning just as a uh, place to do that.